Welcome to the Mycotoxin Matters podcast from Alltech Mycotoxin Management. As mycotoxins present an ever-increasing threat to livestock production, join us as we discuss these impacts and potential solutions, sustainable farming, and our vision for a planet of plenty. Hello, and welcome to Mycotoxin Matters. I'm Nick Adams, Global Director for Alltech's Mycotoxin Management Programme, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Brian Springer to delve into more around the agronomic side of molds and mycotoxins. Uh, he is a certified crop advisor for over 20 years and has experience with dozens of crops, including corn, soy, alfalfa, wheat, barley, and many more. Uh, Brian, it's great to have you uh, with us today. Well, thank you, Nick. It's, it's great to be here as well. Brian, maybe let's kick off with uh, maybe getting your perspective as an agronomist and your experience with this whole area around molds and mycotoxins. You know, wh- where have you been over the last, whatever, 5, 10, 15 years? Well, in all honesty, it's it's been in that last 10 to 15 years at the most that it's really started to, to be identified that it, you know, what the problem is. I mean, there's the mycotoxins from your feed perspective and what you guys are dealing with and then tracing it back into the crops. But it's it's really kind of a, a new and evolving uh, uh, component that everybody's looking into. Uh, so there's still a lot to be learned about it. Uh, but in general, it's it's a little bit different than than what we've dealt with with other pests, because now we're talking about a byproduct from a, from a pest instead of the pest itself. And when we think about those key pests, from your point of view, what are the key pests when we're thinking about molds? When we're looking at molds, the molds, the ones that I get questioned about the most are probably going to be the fusarium because it, you know, the vomitoxin, mycotoxin or the, the dawn that's coming across. It's a big issue in not only wheat, but also in our feed crops and our corn and other things. Uh, so that one tends to come up probably more so than, than anything. Uh, and I think it's it, it kind of stems back to uh, a lot of our farming practices and things of that nature. Of kind of We've kind of selected for that one. That's going to be probably the top one. So what are some of the things, and when you mention selection for for that mold, what are the key things? Is it the environment? Is it temperature? Is it actually things that we're doing from a, a practical standpoint on the farm? Actually, I think it's a, a combination of, of several of those, honestly, because yes, as we're seeing differences in uh, moisture, so especially if you look at, I'll point out to like the uh, uh, the U.S. and we start looking into the upper Midwest, going into the Great Lakes regions, more and more rain, more more rain events, and that is the, the correct weather. That's the right conditions to help fusarium grow on a crop. So so the weather plays into part of it because it's part of a disease triangle. So you've got to have the correct weather, the host, and which is the crop, and then the, the pest. And so, of course, that plays into it wherever we go. So fusarium is going to be more moisture driven. Uh, some of the others are going to be from dry conditions. But when the other part of it is, is from the uh, farming practices, we're going to more and more no-till. And, and again, we need to do those things. It improves our soil. It improves the soil health, water holding capacity. Uh, there's just so many other things that we need to be to, uh, to do this in order to reduce that, uh, that tillage. But by doing that, you're giving a bridge for that fusarium to come from a previous crop to your next crop. 
So if we don't start changing or extending our rotations, putting different uh, crops and, and more of them in between uh, our cereal grains, uh, we're going to continue to have more problems. So we need to look at rotations. We need to look at our uh, uh, tillage and, and how we start to function with that residue. We got we to gotta come up with, and, and I think that's where we, we look at more of how the soil plays into this and what the uh, biological compounds are or things that can help break down that residue because that's one of the big keys that uh, farmers just we've struggled with trying to do you know they're they're like we've got all this residue and we don't know what to do with it which is interesting from all of the the points that you've just made we clearly know a lot more around and about molds as they are but yet we don't seem to have found the magic combination yet within the whether it's the breeding uh, or the other the tools at our disposal such that we can make these molds uh, go away so to speak so why is that i i think one of the the reasons or one of the things that i see is is when we start talking about uh, the molds and mycotoxins as an agronomist we are trained to go out find the problem identify it and then figure out a way to kill it so we can come back next week and find something else. So we're always in a reactive state. We're really not focusing on being proactive or preventative in what we're doing in a lot of cases. And so I think that kind of plays into this. You look at it, and and the the, the main thing that a lot of uh, a lot of agronomists and a lot of folks look at is what can I spray on my corn to get rid of fusarium mold, thinking that that will then eliminate all the mycotoxin. And that is true. There are some fungicides that can work and they can help. But the problem is, is that if you use the wrong one, like strobilarins, for instance, they're very good at like killing northern corn leaf blight and some other rust diseases and things like that. But when you put those on a fusarium mold, yes, it will reduce the mold 40, 50 percent. But the remaining population, that other 50 percent that's sitting out there on the leaf is now under so much stress that they can produce more mycotoxins than if you never sprayed them at all. So we've got to start changing our perspective of, it, again, it's not that you can't spray, it's just we got to do the right spray. Uh, and, and as a comparison, if you look into like wheat uh, that goes into the, the food chain, the human food chain and everything like that, those same chemicals that we use on our corn on a regular basis are not labeled to use because they know this problem exists. When you look at it then, how important is the soil in all of this if we need to take a step back and look at the bigger picture? And that's an area that I really think is going to be our, our key with this moving forward. Because again, like I was saying, the weather is important. Uh, the residue management is important. And we don't need to start filling and, and plowing and doing all these things again. We've, we've learned that those are, that's not necessarily what we need to do. But at the same time, if we can start to let the soil work for us, and there's some really good ways that that happens, it can it can really help to, to, to reduce some of these problems. And as an example, what happens in the soil or on a plant, it doesn't really matter, as you get two microbes that bump up against each other. So if it's in the soil and you've got fusarium on the residue and it's bumping up against another competitor, they each exude metabolites in order to keep the other one at bay because they're fighting over food and for resources and things of that nature. And so what we do, and, and this is one of the areas that Alltech has done very, very well with, is we can mimic some of those metabolites. We can grow the bug and we can kill it and we can take those extracts 
But when we put them onto the soil, what happens is the good colonies, so the good microbes that we want, they can utilize those metabolites and their populations go up. So they're building up and they're getting stronger and, and everything. But at the same time, things like fusarium cannot utilize those same metabolites. So they don't have that food source. They don't grow as fast. And once you get that imbalance going, we kind of trigger it. We're a catalyst. But once that happens, now all those good microbes continue to fight all season long against that fusarium. So now you've got a season long system that is helping you to not only break down the residue and get rid of it and to help cycle it and to help help your soil structure and water holding capacity, you've now got something that, you know, they're doing the battle for you. So again, it's not a pesticide, but it is getting all the pieces working for us in the same direction. And, and with something like that then, Brian, what's the timeline on something like that when you think about some of those other changing practices and the, the reduced till, maybe the reduced crop rotation, and, and therefore we are building up potentially that mold um, proliferation in the in the, the dead matter in the field, et cetera. So when you think about the soil and helping the soil to sort of fight back, as it were, it, it, you know, do you do it sort of one year and it's done? Is it is it a continual thing? How does that work? It, and that's a very good question because, yes, um, a lot of things that we look at from a soil building, soil health to build organic matter, uh, you know, research and, and agronomists will tell you it takes years and years and decades and even centuries to build all these things out. What we're really looking at is that year to year um, influence. So, yes, it is something that you're going to continue to do each year. This goes back to the differences uh, in uh, the weather and everything that happens each year. So you're going to have different populations out there. You're going to have different things going on from year to year based off your crop rotation, your tillage, and, and all your other things. So it's very good to, uh, to look at it from that aspect. But what you do see when you start to build soil structure, improve your water holding capacity, and, and everything like that, then you do see year-on-year building. So it, it is both sides of it when you start to look at it from the, the, from the metabolite side. Uh, we have found over the years, though, that you know a lot of companies and a lot of places have, have talked about, let's just put the, the live bug in the ground. Let's do, you know, let's just inoculate the ground. And what we found is that even though we put the perfect bug into the soil, it still doesn't survive year to year. They still have to reapply those. And, they, and the other problem with it is, is they never know which year they really get a good response. One year, those colonies may take off and grow great. The next year, they just don't see the response. By dealing with the metabolites, we take all that out. So basically what Alltech has done is you get the function of a pesticide as far as an immediate reaction, consistent uh, uh, reactions, but you don't get a lot of those inconsistencies from the live bug. So it, it gives us that biological activity, you know, um, in, a, in a much easier to use form, much more consistent this way. Really interesting, Brian. Um, and maybe we'll come back to that in, in a second uh, as we look to to some of the future sort of concepts. Um, right here, right now, what about aspergillus, you know, on the on the animal feeding side, aflatoxin, such an important mycotoxin in, in terms of the fact that it is sort of the regulated mycotoxin in so many countries around the world. Um, what's your take on, on aspergillus uh, in, in the field? Yeah, aspergillus, 
it would almost be the opposite of the fusarium. When I, I mentioned that like fusarium is that wet condition, increasing in rain, everything else, aspergillus absolutely is, is going to uh, thrive and it's going to be in those years where it's hot and it's dry. And, and what we're seeing, again, this goes back to weather and some of the different things with climate uh, change and some things along those lines, is that we're finding spots that are much drier than normal. Other spots are much wetter. So like I say, to me, those are the opposites of each other. One year you'll have, you know, one, the next year it may be the other one. Because no matter what we do, they are going to be in our soils. Those particular molds will hibernate, so to speak. They're going to carry over in there. And when the conditions are correct, they're going to come out and they're going to cause some problems. Uh, so typically, again, looking at the U.S., we see the southern U.S. having aspergillus as a routine problem year over year. Uh, here in the last year or two, as we've seen increasing drought stress coming into even like western Iowa this last year, there was a lot of aspergillus that showed up in some of those counties because of the weather alone. Now, the same thing goes. How do you interrupt that? How do you break that cycle? And again, I think the soil can play an extremely important role in that because, again, it, those, uh, it, it still has competitors. Even though aspergillus is, is a very dangerous, very bad bug to have in our soils, it has natural competitors. We just have to trigger them to help them outgrow or outpopulate, outcompete, I guess is probably the best way to say it, to outcompete, whether it's aspergillus, whether it's uh, fusarium, or whether it's you know, any number of other soil-borne diseases that can be out there that can give us problems there. Everything has a competitor. We just got to turn that competitor on and let them go do the job for us. Fantastic. And Brian, in that regard, you, know, you think about the changes we see in the animal sector these days where as we move away from the antibiotic growth promoters and now, you know, huge focus on the microbiome in the gut and really trying to you know, get the gut health right. Are we essentially saying the same thing about soil on the uh, on the agronomic side of things? And within maybe not so much the soil, but absolutely on the plant. So that's one of the areas we really haven't talked a whole lot. Uh, but the plant itself, uh, we actually have compounds that we've found and, and derived from yeast. So we actually grow yeast, break it down into its pieces and parts, and then we can reformulate that. But when you put that compound, put those compounds onto a plant, so again, it doesn't matter, it's anything with chlorophyll, it will turn on defensive triggers in that plant to where diseases cannot get in as easily. So it becomes part of this program. So not only can we be looking at the soil to help us to help knock things down and, and kind of break up some of those cycles early on, in season, you, there are tools to where you can turn defensive mechanisms on with anything with chlorophyll. And, and we see it, we've got a lot of research all the way through all the different crops, uh, but it's a very strong reaction uh, and it's, it's very neat technology. Like I say, it's just really, really cutting edge stuff that, uh, that people know those defense mechanisms are there in the plants. They just don't really know how to trigger them. So is that the future? You know, certainly here in Europe at the moment, uh, lots about the European Green Deal, the, the reduction in pesticide use, talking about and more organic uh, farming in the future. Um, so where is that going to take us with respect to you know, some of the tools and technologies uh, that you're talking about? Absolutely true. That's, that's I think, where Alltech fits into this, where the crop science component fits in, is, is working you know, from both sides of that equation. But when we start looking at how 
the um, uh, you know defensive triggers and how we help soils to get going with us, how we can turn certain processes on in the plant to improve growth, yield, all kinds of different things. I definitely think that is the future and where we're going. Uh, does it mean that we're going to get rid of pesticides? No, probably not in a lot of cases uh, because there's just certain times that we do, you know, we need a little bit of help in all those things. But what I do see is that we definitely have a, a set of tools now that can start to go in there and it can work into either an organic situation, organic farming all the way through. So we fit into that category. We can work in the conventional side. Uh, so if you've got pesticides that aren't working as well as they used to, they're getting resistance, they're doing some other things. There are newer technologies. And again, they're biological. They're coming from uh, things that we grow and then and then break down and, and reformulate, but they can help to strengthen those or to keep things, you know, keep these diseases and problems and things in check. Uh, and we've never really looked at it before. It's almost always in the past, it's been on one hand or the other. It's either you're organic or you're not. And and I think that's the stage we're at now is it's this blending of those two ideas. And that's what we truly need is because we need to start to blend that to keep our conventional uh, farming practices and our yields and our incomes up where they are and, and to help keep those growing. I like that concept of, of almost like a hybrid approach, Brian, uh, and, and using all of the technologies that we have available to us in their best place to to get the, the best results. Um, Brian, really appreciate your, your time today. Are there any sort of final thoughts that you'd like to, to leave our listeners with uh, today? Uh, no, like I say, I really appreciate the time and, and and the questions about it. We do get these from the field, but I love being able to at least, you know, maybe put something out here that uh, we can get to more people because there's a lot of these ideas, a lot of these things people just don't get, the, the farms just don't get the access to, they don't get a chance to it. And I think what we closed with there, as far as this hybrid system, I think that's really one of the big keys. It, it's it's not an us versus them. It's not a one system or another system. We've got to start looking for tools and opportunities on either side of that page to keep things moving forward. And I, I think we're, we're there. I think the industry is starting to accept it. Uh, you know, every major chemical manufacturer in the globe has been buying a biological company over the last seven to 10, 12 years. Uh, and that's that's they know it's coming. They know that it's got to be part of the system. I think what really sets us apart is that Alltech's got the head start. We've been doing this for over 25 years, and I think we're we're absolutely got enough research and positioning uh, to be that that company that can really help make that bridge happen and and bring these together. Brian, fantastic. Many thanks for for your time. Many thanks for joining us on Mycotoxin Matters. Where can people? Uh, go if if they have questions or they want to take uh, find any more information. Yes, by all means, uh, if anybody has more questions uh, from the cropping side or from the mycotoxins, please come on over to alltechcropscience.com. Uh, we have a, a lot of information on there from the technologies, how they differ, how to use them, things of that nature, and uh, more than happy to answer some questions as well. So I know there's some uh, contact information in there that they can reach out and we'll be glad to help answer questions. Many thanks, Brian. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening today and look forward to you joining us next time on the Mycotoxin Matters podcast. For more information on the topics discussed, please visit nomycotoxins.com. That's K-N-O-W mycotoxins.com.